scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Jude. Again, a rather short book, but it's packed with a lot of very important things that we need to soak in and process. And Keith's going to unpack that a little bit more for us in a few moments. But here now these words in the first half of Jude, verses 1 through 16. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In a very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them of all their ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. May we be in prayer. 
Lord, there are so many things that we hear in the Bible sometimes that just make us, that just strike us at the very heart of our core. And we don't know exactly how to take that all in, what to do with that, but we know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand these words, to help sort through them and take them uh, very seriously as we go forward in our lives. And so as Pastor Keith comes forward this morning, he has a message that you've given him to share with us. We just ask again that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and minds to this message and that you will help us know exactly what you mean by this scripture as well as others that we read for ourselves in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. Just before I jump into to Jude, I want to just... Uh, give a praise and a request. The praise is that our vacation Bible school that's coming up, we've got, I think, record numbers of kids signed up. There's 200-ish kids that are going to be here that week, which is awesome. So you can guess what the request is, right? We need 10 more small group leaders to help with that. Uh, Luann is requesting that, and I know that we will step to the plate to uh, help with that. So if you'd be willing to help by becoming a VBS small group leader, I promise you, you will have an amazing time doing that. But please let Luann or somebody at the church office know that you'd be up for that. Um, We do have sign-ups on the website and things like that. So we'd love to to, uh, make sure our kids are provided for with a great week. It's awesome to have all these kids, but not awesome if we don't have enough adults. Because, I mean, we are selling this building, but we want it to look nice when, when whoever buys it, buys it. So please help with that. Um, also, just want to let you know that, uh, you know, Pastor Mike is away on vacation this week. He's down in the Dominican Republic with Teresa having a, a wonderful time. I'm sure they're traveling there. And uh, we pray for them to have a safe, a safe and relaxing trip. He needs it after being at an annual conference last weekend. So uh, he'll be back and, and uh, excited about that. But boy, I tell you what, this book of Jude is tough, isn't it? You look at that. We've been in, in, in uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which are the very short books of the Bible. And now we head into Jude, which is right before the book of Revelation. So, so right towards the end of the New Testament, we drop this book written by uh, Jesus' half-brother, Jude. Uh, lived in the same house with him, was raised in the same home with, with Jesus. Of course, did not have the same uh, mother or father, um, The Holy Spirit was the father of Jesus, of course, and uh, Joseph was the father of Jude, we think, we think. So we're gathered here today to read this short letter written by Jude to the church, and and I find that his message is a timely message for us, given the state of our culture, given the state of our church, And, and what's amazing to me is that when you look back over history, even to the earliest times of the church, you see some of the same themes that you see, you know, today. You see people who are trying their best to follow the teachings that they've been given by the Lord, and you see other people who are trying to just do whatever they want to do, and whatever they feel like doing, and you see this tension, this pull back and forth between the truth of the gospel and the pull of the world and the pull of our own individual leanings towards sin. So Jude begins this letter 
with this greeting, but then he moves into this idea that what he's talking about is not a, a surprise. He says, I'm telling you that this has happened. These evil people have come into the church and that they have been prophesied about long ago. He says, I was eager to write to you about the salvation. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was entrusted to God's holy people. The, the main idea of this book of the scripture, first and foremost, is for God's people, the church, to contend for the faith. Now, to contend for something means that you advocate for it. It means that you stick with it, but that you don't just stand back passively in the midst of it, but that you become a, a, a person who fights for it. And even in these early days of the gospel of the church, Jude was imploring these people that, they, that the faith was something that they had to contend for. They had to take an active role in what was happening in it. Because if they didn't, there would certainly be those who would contend for something else. And indeed, that's what was happening. He says that ungodly people have slipped into the church and, and they've made room for sin. They've denied Jesus Christ. And as faithful Christians, Jude calls us here today to contend for the truth of the faith that was passed down by Jesus. Because the dangers of our own day are the same. We can be tempted and have, as, as North American Christians especially, we have excused sin. We have ignored calls to holiness. We're all really good about making excuses for the stuff that we want to do. And for the sinful behaviors that find their way into our midst, we, we can make excuses. We can ignore the calls for holiness. We, as Jude says, have turned God's grace into a license for sin and for immorality. Do you know what that means? To turn God's grace into a license? It basically means this. Oh, well, God will forgive me anyway, or God knows how hard this is for me, so he doesn't bo he's not bothered by that. Or, you know, with all of the things that God has going on in the world, he certainly doesn't care what I do, right? Have you ever thought things like that before? Have you ever made excuses? I mean, let's face it. When you're trying to act in a certain way and you're tempted to act outside of that, and you really want to, you'll make excuses, right? You might be on a diet and you want to eat something, you know, and, oh, well, what's it going to hurt to eat just what, you know, I can't deny myself forever, you know. Whatever we want to do, if we want to do it badly enough, even though we know it's wrong, we'll somehow find a way to do it, right? That, that's a tendency that human beings have. And Jude is saying, this, this can't find its way into the church, but it has. It has. It, it did then and it does Today And Jude warns those of us who want to live with this, with this cavalier attitude when it comes to sin. He wants to warn those of us who want to say things like, oh, well, you know, we, no one really should judge. And really, God's a God of love, so he, God, God's okay with whatever I choose to do. And I know that that's kind of the fashionable attitude that we have. We didn't invent that, by the way. It's always been that way. As long as there have been human beings, since the fall of, of Adam and Eve, we've had these inclinations and desires to act in ways that go contrary to God's will, and we've found ways to do that. And, and what, the, what the danger is in the church is that we find some way for the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man 
to live together in peace and harmony. That seems to be the goal of some. And Jude is warning against that. He says you have to contend for the faith. We must agree with God and not make the worship of God subject to our own plans and preferences. And it's a fight, isn't it? It's a fight to contend for the faith. I mean, just think the fight that it is to attend worship. It's a beautiful day outside right now, isn't it? I mean, I woke up this morning and I walked outside. I went, hey, you know, maybe they won't miss me too much. I'll just <laughs> hop on that bike and ride, you know. I could send a quick email to Vicky and say, Vicki, uh, the Lord has called me to a day of solitude. <laughs> I must run the race with perseverance, or ride the race, whatever. Just read Jude and talk about it. You'll be fine, right? I mean, that's a tempt. But, you know, I understand. I talk to people all the time. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I know I should get to church. I know all the stuff I should do. I know I shouldn't be doing that. And I know I should do this or shouldn't do that. And then it's always the reason why we do or don't do those things, Right? But, you know, I was busy, and I got this going on. I've got this project I have to finish, and I've got that thing I have to do, and that must happen, and this, and, and, and boy, all, you know, it, it just can boggle our minds at times. And, and sometimes it can take us away from the very truth of Jesus Christ. I could go on on this for a long time, but the point of Jude is that we have to contend for our faith because... Because, and he gives us this great warning, number two, no one is accepted from the judgment of God. Now, I know we don't like to talk about the judgment of God and God's wrath and God's judgment. That's not what we like to hear. We like, you know, soft, pretty Jesus with a lamb and, and a blue sash. And, you know, he's sitting and he's got a little kid on his lap. And, he's, he's, he's what I, and that's certainly true of Jesus, right? But what do we do with these verses? What do we do with the other side of the coin where Jude writes to the church of God and says, be warned because God is no respecter of persons and as we would want him to, he looks at all of us the same. Now I know that we want to say that. Well, God looks at everyone the same. But we really, really don't want him to do that sometimes, do we? We really don't. We want to be his favorite. We want him to make exceptions for us when we do stupid, rebellious things, right? So we want to say, oh, well, you know, God loves us all the same, but you better get your life straightened out, buddy. But when we look at ourselves, we often think, well, God understands. He knows me. He'll make an exception for me, right? Jude says no. He warns us that not even the angels are exempt from continuing in the true faith. He says even God's holy angels who, who basically rebelled against God were cast out. He, he talks about the people of Israel who after being delivered from Egypt, even God's holy chosen people that he was forming into his own, the covenant that was made with them, did not exempt them from God's judgment when they sinned. And he says that he destroyed those who did not believe. Those who lived in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding towns were destroyed by God because of their sexual immorality and perversion. That's not a message that we like to hear, is it? 
that God is offended by our sexual immorality and our perversion. We don't like that. Because that implies that there is a standard of sexual morality. And we don't want God telling us what we should or shouldn't do with our bodies. Nevertheless, He does. I know it's an unpopular message. I remember when I was in seminary, um, sitting in a classroom, and, and one of the professors was talking about you know, that God would never judge anyone, that God would never uh, refuse anyone, or would, 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 you know, basically that God loves us all, we're all gosh, all this stuff, and, and, and that He understands everything that we do and loves us anyway, and that would never condemn anyone. And one of the students in the back said under his breath a little bit, he says, oh yeah, tell that to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you'd have thought this guy stood up and said, Heil Hitler or something like that, with the reaction he got from the class. <gasps> How dare you say something so meanful and spiteful as that? And he goes, well, what do you do with it? It's in the Bible. Well, that's the Old Testament, right? We don't need to pay attention to that anymore. Well, where's Jude? I mean, it's right next to Revelation. It's at the end. You don't get any closer to the New Testament. You don't get any more New Testament than that. We can't throw out the parts of the Bible that offend us and make us uncomfortable. We have to rather, the Bible says, submit to the authority of Christ and agree with God and recognize God's holiness. He talks about this idea of taking seriously the consequences of our sin because he loves us, and he's made a way for us to be free from sin and judgment. But woe to us who reject that way. Woe to us who shake our fingers in the face of God and say, I know you said this, but I say this. You better understand. Woe to those of us who would take what God has called unholy and declare it to be holy. Woe to those of us who would refuse to submit ourselves to God's authority. Woe to the, those of us who think so highly of ourselves because we're so intellectual and refined and sophisticated that God will surely overlook all of our sin and unbelief. The third thing that Jude says is that living in sin leads to destruction and division. That it accomplishes nothing for God and is rooted in selfishness. And he talks about these, these people who have come into the church, who've opened up the door to all of this sin, and how they are like these twice dead trees, these clouds with no rain. They puff themselves up and they declare how great they are and how wonderful and smart they are. But in the end, ultimately, they accomplish nothing for the gospel, nothing for the kingdom of heaven. He says they've gone the way of Cain. You know who Cain was, right? Cain was the son of Adam and Eve who murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous that God preferred his sacrifice over his. God had said, bring your best meat to me. God had said, had said he wanted these sacrifice of these animals. And, and Cain said, well, I'll bring my vegetables instead. And God was displeased. So Cain murdered his brother. He was so angry that God didn't say, well, 
even though you disobeyed me, it's okay. They've gone the way of Cain. They've said their way is more important. He says they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Do you know who Balaam was? Balaam and the talking donkey. Maybe you've heard that story in the Old Testament book of Numbers. If you want to look at it later, it's, it's a fascinating story. I'm sure they covered it in Disciple in different courses that we have here. But you can read it. Balaam was a prophet of God. And one of the surrounding kings that wanted to enslave the Israelites and draw them away from God tried to bribe Balaam into standing up before the people of God and saying, thus saith the Lord, you know, go make a treaty with this king and give him all your stuff, basically come under his authority. And Balaam was going to do it. He offered him all this wealth and said, you can do all this. I'll pay you all this money, give you all this stuff if you lie to the people on behalf of God. And he was going to do it. But when he stood up to do it, God moved in him and he was unable to falsely prophesy. It was amazing. God even said, nope, I'm not going to let you do that. He was unable to do it. But he still found a way to betray his people and to rebel against God. He he went to the king and he said, listen, I can't get up, person in my position in power. I I can't get up and, and wrongly prophesy, probably because he knew what the penalty for wrongly prophesying was. It was death. If you ever stood up and said, God says this, and it was wrong, even one time, you were to be killed. So he said, here's what you need to do. He told the king. He says, these people have no ability to resist the temptation of prostitutes and idolatry. So just tempt them away with prostitutes and idolatry. And I'm telling you right now, they will fall right into that. So that's what he did. He sold out his people. Now, they made the choice to go along with it, but Balaam was interested in his own wealth and getting what he wanted. So he sold out holiness and righteousness and the people of God. He, he found a way to use their proclivity towards sin as a way to draw them against what God wanted them to be for his own gain. Jude also says they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. The rebellion of Korah is also found in, in the book of Numbers. And Korah was a man who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron by accusing Moses and Aaron of exalting themselves above the congregation. See, Korah, he, he was jealous that Moses and Aaron were the leaders. So he gathered a bunch of people together, 250 of them, and they decided to challenge Moses' authority. Who do you think you are, Moses? Who do you think you are, Aaron? What's wrong with the way I hear from God? What makes you so special? Why should you get to be the leader? So he he led this revolt. He told Moses and Aaron, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Basically what Korah was saying was, hey, everybody's okay here. We don't need you guys coming down with all these laws and rules. Everyone's fine. Stop being so harsh. Stop being so so mean, Moses. Well, Korah thought he could do a better job leading the people than Moses was doing, but by leading this revolt against God's divinely, divinely appointed leaders, Korah was actually revolting against God. So Moses said, okay, let's, let's have a test to prove the source of his authority. And Korah and his followers did not pass the test. 
And God opened up the earth and swallowed the rebels, their families, and all of their possessions. Furthermore, the scripture says that fire came down from the Lord and consumed the other 250 men who were part to Korah's rebellion. And the rest of the Israelites were terrified and they fled. Well, the following day, instead of being convinced after you saw what had happened, that God was, was endorsing the leadership of Moses and Aaron that he had set there for them, they came and they, they got mad at Moses and Aaron. They said, oh, well, you, you, got, you had God kill these people. They were good people. For this act of rebellion, God threatened to destroy the whole congregation and sent a plague among them. However, think about this. Moses and Aaron interceded for the rebels and averted a complete catastrophe. But in the end, 14,700 Israelites had died. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 16. You see, here's what was going on. People had become, become more focused on getting what they wanted, on getting their own way, than they had on following the mission that God had given them. See, that's one of the most aggravating aspects of all of the conflict in churches these days, is that it takes away our energy and resources from what we need to accomplish God's mission for the gospel. You know, when I see churches and people arguing with each other about stuff like this, they never argue about, well, hey, how can we more effectively reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's never the source of the argument. It's always about, well, hey, you know, stop telling me what I can't do. Or stop telling me that your way's better. Or stop telling me that I'm wrong and you're right. It's always about self. It's never about the mission or kingdom. So think about the threat of these rebellions. They were focused on fleshly desires. They denied the authority of the leaders that had been given to them. And they responded to their opposition with intense rebellion and oftentimes, as in the case of Cain, with violence. So into this context, into this warning, Jude gives the Christians a charge. He says this, as Christians, you must persevere. That's what he says to us. We must persevere. He says you're not supposed to just hide your head in the sand and run away and, and isolate yourself completely and, and pretend that nothing's going on. And, and he's not saying that you must run out with, with violence and power and squash anyone who would oppose you. He, he says this, that the way that you persevere as a Christian is to build up yourself in the faith. Because, you see, the Holy Spirit runs contrary to the desires of the flesh. I was talking to a, a, an unnamed pastor, not Pastor Mike, who uh, I met with this last week, and we were talking about some stuff that happened at an annual conference last week. And this pastor said to me, he says, oh, I just got so angry. I just wanted to walk up to that person and just punch him right in the mouth. In Jesus' name, right? <laughs> and we're like, I, I understand that. But that's not what we're called to do. You know? If God wants to do that, God can do that. You and I can't do that. Right? Judgment is not about us, it's about God. That's the thing you got to understand. All of this stuff about the judgment of God, sometimes we can hear things like this, and some Christians who are a little bit more like fire, they go, all right, God's judgment, let's go. Say, so, whoa, 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 hold the phone a minute, dude. You're not 
the instrument of God's judgment. God is the instrument of God's judgment. Your call is to persevere in yourself. You see, the way that you and I resist evil and and sinful behavior in the church and in our own lives is not to run after people and, and squash them. It's to, in and of ourselves, build ourselves up in the faith so that we can persevere. Because the way of sin will ultimately be destroyed. But who's going to be left, you see? Jude says this, build yourself up in the faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Show mercy mixed with fear while hating the clothing even stained by corrupted flesh. You ever hear that state? You're supposed to, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin? This is where that comes from, right? We, we love those around us who are caught up in sin, and we're called to, to snatch them out of the fire, proverbially, but also to, to, to love them and show them mercy, but while at the same time hating even the clothing stained. But that's just a metaphor to say that we, you know, we can't let ourselves become soft in that issue. Exercise mercy to those who doubt. Mix mercy with fear. You know, today's Father's Day. This probably wasn't a great Father's Day message. But I don't care, number one. So don't send me an email, because I won't care. Number two, I had, I had a guy one time come up to me on the church. He was out of town. He comes up running up here after an 830 service one time. And I had preached on Mother's Day. We were preaching through the Bible, and he's got in my face. He said, I can't believe I came here to listen to a sermon about Mother's Day, and all you wanted to do was talk about Jesus. So, well, buddy, this ain't that kind of church. So, we talk about Jesus. I'm sure your mother would want that. Anyway, I digress. But this particular part made me think a lot about Father's Day. This idea of mixing, mixing mercy with fear, right? Any good father knows how to do that, don't they? You mix a little, because you want your kids to have a little fear. Because if you say, don't do that or else, if there's no fear, the or else means nothing, Right? But at the same time, you want your kids to always know that whatever they've gotten themselves into, however bad it is, no matter what they've done, they can always come back to dad or to mom, right? Can always come back. You know, I don't know what you've taught your kids. I've tried to teach mine, <laughs> tried, tried to teach mine that, look, no matter how bad it is what you've done, if you just come and tell me about it and, and honest with me, it's going to go better for you than if I find out some other way, Right? Because we want to have mercy, but we also want to have, I mean, isn't that a great picture of of the Lord? I mean, of the enduring metaphors that God has given us, that Jesus has given us for a relationship between ourselves and God. It's the relationship between a child and a loving father. And I I know that, that that the modern world wants to strip that analogy away from us and take it away because they want to say, well, God isn't male. But let me tell you something. The, The analogy of God as a father is something that will never be taken away from us. And maybe you haven't had a loving father in your life. Maybe your father has been a complete loser. I don't know. You have one in God. God has promised you a way out of all this mess that we read about here in Jude. All the stuff that was going on in the church. And the church needs that. We need that way out. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's made a way for us to be 
forgiven. If you read this stuff and you say, oh my gosh, even the Israelites weren't exempt, even the angels weren't exempt, what luck do I have? What chance do I have? Because I'm a horrible sinner. God's surely going to judge me. Let me tell you something. If that's your mindset, if that's your mindset, then you are going to find mercy and grace and forgiveness. Because that's the mindset we all need to have. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But if your mindset is, oh, get away with me with that stuff. Don't tell me about anything that I'm doing is wrong. You just go worry about yours. Then you need to be in, you need to be in worry. You need to be in worry. So I invite you today to, to think about this. Maybe go home and read this book of Jude again when it's quiet, when you can really reflect on it in a personal way and really, really think about that. Understand, this man was raised in the same house as Jesus Christ. He knew him intimately. We can trust what he says. We can trust that when we come to our loving Father, we will find mercy. We will find it, but we always have to have a little bit of fear mixed in so that we can stand firm. We can keep ourselves in God's love. That's our heart's desire today. May we experience that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words of Jude as though they, they may be hard to hear sometimes, God. But we ask today that you'd help keep us in love. Keep us in the truth as we contend for the faith in the midst of a world that so desperately wants to destroy it. May we be found faithful, Lord bathed in your mercy, cleansed by your blood so that we can accomplish the mission that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The biggest victories... I see is the in the care ministry is bringing more people in that are um, in need of someone to listen, someone to care, someone to reach out, um, and just the support um, as they struggle with whatever it is that they're dealing with in this life. What I see God doing in the care ministry is is bringing comfort to those people, bringing them closer to God and strengthening their faith um, as they go through the difficult times in their lives. The relationships that grow out of these groups, I think there's just a special bond. Um, people are very vulnerable in their grieving process, and so uh, sharing that with others creates a wonderful bond, and, and for myself as well. These people hold a special place in my heart because um, of their struggles and their sadness. Well, the future for the care ministry, I just, you know, everybody has needs and um, it's pretty individual what, what one person needs as opposed to another. And so we have to sit down with those people and figure out what it is that um, we can do to help them get through this um, period in their life that is, is distressing to them. Mm -hmm.